Welcome to episode 13 of the 360 Recruiting Podcast, titled Rouse is Back and OU Goes Offer Happy for 2024. My name is Chris Mason. I am the lead recruiting analyst for Sooners 360. And along this for this episode is my co-host, Caleb Cummings. Uh, Matt's not available this week, and we apologize about the, the late recording time. We've had some problems schedule-wise, and uh, we'll get back to our regular recording uh, time of uh, Thursdays uh, next week. So thanks, everyone, for that. And again, the same topic we've been leading for with the last couple of weeks, it's it's portal madness again. I think it's coming to a close. But uh, Caleb, I think we would be remiss if we didn't start with the topic we kind of killed last week. So since we can't just replay that and reverse and change all of our opinions, Caleb, what do you think of Walter Rouse flipping back to OU? <laughs> well, what a pleasant surprise, right? Uh, if you're an OU fan. I know some folks that were not and that are fairly big Nebraska fans, including some ex-players, were somewhat vocal on social media, uh, taking shots, saying it was was NIL, which was ironic given that would be the only reason uh, someone in, in, in Walter's position would ever have chosen Nebraska to begin with, right? In that situation, you would think when you kind of waited it out. But, I, you know, I thought, and I think I mentioned this on the board, and I don't want to say it would have been a massive failure. And that's, I think, exactly what I did say on the board to not have landed him in the portal. But I think uh, it would have left a massive hole going into spring and into fall of what is Oklahoma going to do at left tackle with the injury to Sexton and, uh, you know, with not much depth there. You know, those, those, those snaps that Aaron Parks saw in the bowl game, those were maybe his second you know, significant number of snaps he's seen in the game. I think he got some run uh, in the year uh, this past year. You know, and when someone's, you know, when uh, Anton Harrison's helmet came off or something along those lines, and he, he struggled a bit, you know, in those, but he had flashes, I thought, uh, in the bowl game. But I think it's just huge. He provides, you know, listening to him talk in one of his interviews he gave, and, and, and shout out to like, one of the guys on 247. He talked to him, you know, he was dead set on going to the NFL after this year, you know, uh, at Stanford. And then early in the year, he, he, you know, injured his shoulder, that left shoulder, I think, or right shoulder, I'm not sure which, but injured the labrum. Uh, didn't look like he was going to need surgery. So he thought, hey, I can play through this. Well, he re-injured it a little bit later in the year, and it got worse. And they said, no, you are going to need surgery. And that shoulder bothered him enough that he didn't have quite the year that he thought he would. Uh, you know, so he's looking at, it sounds like he's looking at OU as exactly what I think we all thought it was. He, you know, it's a path to the NFL with a proven offensive line coach and Bill Beatonbow, who's going to have two tackles drafted this, this coming April, one of them potentially more likely than not in the first round and Anton Harrison. And I'll be honest with you. I think, I think Rouse, he, the reason why he's so important is he's a plug and play starter at left tackle. And I think that we've seen that Guyton kind of likes right. And from really from day one, once he's healthy, you know, I think I said this on the board, you watch him in some ways, it's exactly what you think of the Stanford offensive line in the last few years. He's extremely technically sound, very fluid in his movement, 6'6", 315, 
really well put together. He's not overwhelming physically. He's not just mauling people like Trent Williams, right? But he, he don't. He also who, who never is right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Trent, like Trent's first ballot Hall of Fame, you know, like first so ballot. it's a bar's a little high, bar's high there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you're talking about one of the best stuff tackles they ever ever lace him up. So he's not that, but what he is, I mean, he's an NFL, he's an he's an NFL caliber left tackle. Oklahoma's going to just plug in, and that's uh, that's absolutely wild to say. I think he's quietly one of the biggest wins in the portal just overall. Like for some reason, he's not talked about. But how many teams can legitimately say? Because you see this lot of portal guys, right? It's yeah. Hey, we think he fit, we think he fits our scheme. Hey, he was really highly recruited. It hasn't worked out yet. We think this can work here. Or it's he did really good at this Mac school, and we think he can do that. Maybe hopefully we're crossing our fingers consistently at the Power Five level. Walter Rouse is completely opposite of that. It's like three year starter. At an offensive, one of the top offensive line factories in college football, extremely good. Like, again, like it's just plug and play. Yeah, you just you don't usually think you can get someone like this from the portal. I think the big thing is it sort of reduces a little bit of the stress level in spring for the O line because we are swapping in so many pieces and replacing, you know, two NFL, you know, two NFL. Draftable tackles. I mean, not many programs are are, are really saying, are saying they're doing that. It's maybe like Georgia, um, maybe Alabama. You know, these. You know, for OU to say we've got to replace two NFL tackles, that's that's a pretty big gap. And you plug in Rouse, and then you've got Guyton, and you may. I don't think it's a huge stretch to say if Guyton can reach his ceiling, he he has NFL potential. And then I think if Walter comes back healthy, and I think Bill maybe can get just a little bit more out of. More out of Walter, but he's, you know, as you said, he's been a three-year starter. I, I just think it if you were if you were to look as much as I love Dason McCullough, I think I'd be hard pressed to to say that Rouse isn't the maybe the biggest other than Bothroyd isn't the biggest pickup of the portal. Yeah, no, you know what? <laughs> uh you sold me. I was going into the pot, I was even thinking, now if we're talking portal is where the defensive linemen may be the most important pieces. But, you know, as you were talking there, I kind of flashed back to that last drive in the bowl game where Oklahoma's got the opportunity to go win. Or even earlier in the bowl game, they weren't able to take some of those shots because they didn't really yeah. trust that they could hold up for those deep shots. And to get a guy like Rouse, and I don't think you're wrong. I know the, the folks, you know, in Norman, they think that Guyton's got, you know, and if Anton Harrison's got, you know, top 25, top, you know, first round, top 32 picks potential. They think Guyton's got the potential, if he'll reach it, to be top five, top 10 pick, that he's that level of athlete and, and, and potential. You know, I think he's just figuring it out. So I don't think it's a stretch to say if Guyton has it figured out a bit more, uh, you know, this year, Oklahoma might not be upgrading overall. Overall, I'm not Anton Harrison is a stud, going to be a first rounder. But the reality of what Wanya Morris was, it was a lot of really up and down play, always wishing he would have been better. And in a lot of ways, Rouse is the polar opposite. It's not, you wish maybe it was flashier, but it's always consistently good. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a big addition. Uh, I, I think we were all surprised, and, and I got to give credit to the, the Rivals guys. They sort of had this story first. And it was just amazing to... 
to, to just the the opinion of 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 what's going on with the O line. I mean, because because if you if if Rouse takes care of that, then all of a sudden you're able to keep Taylor maybe inside, and you've got a much more competitive inside environment. You have a chance to to maybe bring along Aaron Parks a little slower, and you know maybe he can play spring right because Rouse you don't want to overwork Rouse. We're not, I'm not sure about his spring availability. So you kind of have maybe a a win win that you know Rouse can go through workouts, but you you give all the the real physical stuff to Parks right, so he gets yeah, so he gets as much reps as possible. So then you're really building some depth there, and you're leaving your inside group for maybe. You know, you you know, I'm kind of hoping for an offensive guard kind of battle royal this uh, this spring. You know, um, you know, you mentioned the the group of five guy. Obviously, we're kind of hoping maybe to catch some lightning in the bottle with with um, with Schaefer uh, at offensive guard. So to to either be a starter or to push uh, or, or to push Matoyer. So I think Rouse coming back just it's like a rock that just fixes a big gap in the dam. Right? It's like yeah, I just put that yeah. rock there. And now I don't have to worry about it. Absolutely. And I'll be interested to see uh, one of the smaller things as well, right, is could he? what kind of impact might he have on the growth of, of uh, Savion Bird? Savion's still really young and inexperienced. And let's yeah. say if Savion takes over that left guard spot, having a guy next to him that has about 40 starts against Power 5, right? It's, you know, Pac-12, he's played, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau uh, every year he was out there, you know, so for two years. And, and Notre Dame. And he's playing Notre yeah, Dame every year. Exactly. So he's played a lot of really good offensive or defensive linemen, rather. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, that will just kind of further help those younger guys. That experiences will be valuable, I think. I hope. Okay. Well, if if we landed the offensive lineman that we wanted, we still seem to be searching a little bit at, at wide receiver. So what's been going on there lately, Caleb? It's been wild, right? Because <laughs> It's the thing that's been most surprising to me about that is, you know, almost conflicting feelings of, hey, I think we're okay. You know, the word so Broden, uh, the big six foot seven kid, uh, I think it was at a ball state. Uh, he, Bowling he landed, Green, he, Bowling he Green. Chose Bowling, Bowling Green. Bowling Green. Green. Sorry. Uh, so he chose Arkansas, which is odd because it seemed like it came down. He was going to choose Oklahoma. Oklahoma backed away. Look like he's going to choose Penn State. Penn State back to A, and he ends up at Arkansas, who then loses their offensive coordinator. <laughs> uh, I think today, yesterday, right? So yeah. that's an interesting. Uh, and then I don't think the uh, South Florida kid Xavier Weaver. I don't think he's landed anywhere yet. But Oklahoma brought both of those guys in on visits, so it would have made you think Oklahoma receiver is a big area of need. Uh, and obviously, they brought in the Michigan kid that they. We, that is in Norman right now, attending class. You know, so you bring in, you get the waiver, what, 14 new official visits. You use three to four of them on wide receivers. You know, you only land one. You think that they're going to need another one. But it doesn't look like they're really stressed. I know the, you know, again, the Michigan, Andrell Anthony, uh, the word is they absolutely love him. They think he is going to, has the potential to be a stud, which is, you know, counterintuitive what we talk about with the portal guys, because it's usually like if they weren't doing it somewhere else, you know, maybe they can catch lightning in a bottle, like you said. But is that likely? No. But then, you know, you also hear the Michigan folks saying, like, we hated to lose him because we really expect him to be a stud for us this year. So and they don't throw uh, the ball. As, and you you ID that they don't throw the ball around that much. So, yeah, his last they, they stats is a little de- is a little deceiving. 
It really is. And it's, you know what, that actually brings up like a really interesting, you know, scenario here. When you compare the differences between the two offenses, Michigan, and again, like I mentioned, you know, I think on the last pod and, and maybe on the board, right. No receiver in a Harbaugh offense at the college level. So San Diego, Stanford, Michigan has ever caught, had had a thousand yards receiving one guy went over 900. If you look at it every other time, like the high, the consistent high receiver on his teams are 600 yards receiving. So it's just not, they just are not going to feed one guy the ball. And it's the inverse of that for Jeff Levy, which takes us to the question of, I don't know that Oklahoma needs another receiver in the sense that I think they've got enough bodies and talented guys. And when you look at what the veer and shoot tends to do, and they tend to feed a couple of guys the ball really, really heavily. Uh, give them a yeah. ton of balls. Yeah, I think it's kind of it's it's kind of one of those big discussions is oh, you need another portal wide receiver. I I'm sort of in the in the boat of let's let's watch the kids work out this some this spring. Let's see what Anthony looks like this spring, and and come out of that, and I would be fine. Saying let's just let's just stand patent and let Emmett Emmett Jones work his magic on the on the on the big guys we have we have on campus. So it looks like we need another wide receiver, but I would be perfectly happy to wait for spring. And and if the decision out of spring was no, I, I think I'd be I'd be fine with standing pat there. Yeah, I, I think they're. I agree. And uh, you know, they're they're again. We talked about this right that that spring window will open up. And I do think there'll be the potential for, I think there's a good likelihood you could land. It'll be a higher hit rate of the kids that enter the portal post the spring. Cause you're probably, you're likely, I think to have some kids that are going into spring ball in highly competitive position battles. And maybe they come out of the spring and they're, Hey, I'm going to be the number two receiver, or I'm going to be the number three receiver or whatever other position. But I think I can start somewhere else. I'm a junior. I'm going to go start somewhere else. Uh, I think there's a likelihood for that. Yeah. I think the, the current, the current game of musical chairs with offensive coordinators could also lead to some high profile kids being like, yeah, I don't like the new guy. He's not getting me the ball. Yeah, no, that's like, that's a really interesting one, right? There's, there's chatter that Munkin at, at Georgia uh, is, is up for an NFL job as an offensive coordinator. And, you know, maybe he wants to go back to the NFL. He was there for quite a while previously. Uh, I think for a lot of these guys, it's gotta be tiring just the recruiting, you know, aspect. And now you've entered in NIL probably rather deal with, with grown men. If you're going to be paying everybody, uh, it's all the same. In, in Michigan, I don't know if a lot of people know this, Michigan's offense coordinator has been suspended. They might be making a change there. What does that do? Don't know the Michigan's yeah. got anybody else. But, you know, and then, like you mentioned, uh, Kendall, or, you know, we mentioned earlier, right, Kendall Bryles going to to, uh, to TCU. TCU. Uh, yeah, so, you know, there there could just be – And then Arkansas you know, stole Maryland's offensive coordinator. Maryland will steal somebody else's. It's like – you know, we keep hearing rumblings about Levy and Bama. And although Bama hasn't lost their guy yet, and then if Georgia loses their guy, and um, I got to say, um, I'm glad we do an OU podcast and not a Michigan podcast. I can only imagine what a Michigan podcast is like this week. <laughs> it's wild times up there. Uh, I mean, I got, no, no. Back. Well, and then like 
somebody, as you said, Weiss got fired today. And yeah. then something else is going on with the other guy. He resigned and there's some police report about something. I mean, it's, I, 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 you know, I'm not going to get, we won't turn this into, into Wolverine chat, but uh, it just shows how, you know, you think everything post portal and post signing day, everything's just, you know, everything's stable, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're losing three or four assistants and things are still, and you got all this, well, got all this chaos to deal with. So I'm glad we. I don't think we have that. Although, if if Jeff Levy were to depart, that would certainly yeah, there would there would certainly be some some tsunami waves, uh, seismic waves coming off that. So yeah, but let's I hope it's unlikely. Yeah, let's let's hope he doesn't. But you, yeah, you hear that you hear that he uh, as a former Sooner and a guy that loves university, he's he's really bought into getting Oklahoma back in the playoff and back where it belongs in his mind. Yeah, I think he did. I, you know, I have, I have nothing to stand up on this, but I got to think he wants to coach Jackson Arnold at least one season. He wants to coach that arm, that legs, and this offense at least one year, and just have a fun yeah. year riding that out. Um, Absolutely. But, listen, but if you were if you were to critically take a look at what OU's done and and kind of give it a letter grade for the just the portal by itself, we've already done kind of the the high school uh, December signing class a couple of times. What would what would you give the portal? The, the portal class is a grade, some kind of need quantity, uh, kind of, you know, mix all kind of thrown together. Yeah, no, that's a good question. It's a difficult one. Uh, so for this, I'm going to say, I'm not going to grade this on a curve. I'm not going to grade this comparative to what other schools did or did not do in the portal. I'll be honest. I think some of what uh, some other schools that have brought a ton of kids in and everybody loves, I think they've, I think a lot of them have just exchanged, you know, Jags for Jags. Uh, if I'm looking, I'm, I really do. I think everybody gets excited because, Hey, you know, the wart on your kid, but you don't know the wart on the other kid. So, you know, it's that far away syndrome. Everything is far away is better than what's in front of me. Uh, I'm being critical in Oklahoma and I, and I will be, uh, just right. I would probably say the a minus to B plus, And I probably lean towards, uh, a minus, the only area that I would say I can't, I wish they could have done something more or I wish that would have been a little bit better for me is is really defensive tackle. And I they, they yeah. went and got two kids, and I think they got two decent kids, two, particularly the Notre Dame transfer. I think, you know, he'll come in. I mean, he was a rotational guy at Notre Dame for really good defenses. I think he'll be the same. I think he'll be a rotational guy for a really improved Oklahoma defense. You know, but I don't think he'll be an All American. Uh, that's the one spot. But yeah, other than that, I think you come out saying, "Where was Oklahoma the weakest at last year?" And you'd say, "Okay, I think they were weakest. What maybe some running back depth? Well, that gets solved through people forget about you know Megua, the Washington transfer in the fall. But yep. between him and the incoming freshman and the emerging freshman in the bowl game, I think running back depth is solved." You don't have to lean on just one guy like Oklahoma did last year with Eric Gray, where just they yeah. just ran him into the ground. Uh, and, and defensively, for me, and everybody harped on linebacker play, and I do think linebacker play suffered. But for me, it really started on the, at the edge of defensive end, and I think that trickled up to linebacker. Right, those guys, you know, I think you watch it; they weren't doing a great job of even bumping guys off their path to the linebacker. You know, linemen were getting just free run at, 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 OU's, at OU's backers. And so I think Oklahoma, 
I think, improve their defensive end position better than anybody in the portal by a long shot. Uh, just and some of that is dependent upon Ford remaining healthy. But I think maybe, you know, someone posted this on the board in the pro football focus, their college version, you know, Dothroyd was number eight, number seven graded edge player in the country last year. And yeah. Oklahoma's added him and Ford, you know, to the defensive end uh, room. And, you know, they've got some younger guys that are still developing. I think the other spot you might say is, you know, hey, let's get better at linebacker. They sign McCullough. He comes in big, you know, athletic, can really run, whether it's linebacker or cheetah. And for me, uh, you know, defensive end and, and really the other spot was that other safety position. And, you know, God bless the guys that were there. They just limited in some of what they could do. And there was a lot of times you saw it in the tech game, you know, a lot of that sticks out. And well, really multiple games where, I mean, Brent and Ted Roof had it designed up perfectly and they had a safety as a, as a free hitter, you know, and he's keyed and he's coming downhill, takes a bad angle, you know, takes a horrible angle sometimes and just misses on those backs for, you know, and what should have been a, you know, one yard gain, no, you know, or no gain turns into an eight, 12, 10 yard. And that just changes everything, right? It's it changes. The margins, so margins on defense were so, was so tight, right? I mean, Absolutely. We've, we've, we've been, we've been, you know, we've been working, wearing out the five, you know, small margin losses left and right. Just, but you know, you add experience to me. I'm, I'm to me, I'm stuck between B plus and A minus. And just like you, and the reason why I, I don't know which way to go is I, I don't know what OU gets from Davin Sears. Because yeah. if, because if, if Davin Sears, you get. If all of a sudden he he hits our weight conditioning program and he hits Bates and all of a sudden the 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 raw parts of him start to start to coalesce a little bit into into something that flashes more on the field then I'm like ooh that's that's closer to an A minus if he's kind of like not playing much and not not really getting much impact and I'm like you know we're probably back to B plus. So I think that's that's to me where I, I agree with you about Dasan McCullough or Reggie Pearson, uh, Bothroyd. I think that's three starters for you right there. I mean, and that's huge yep. on one on each level. Um, I think it allows you to have Canick and Lewis compete a little bit at will linebacker, maybe depending upon how they want to line Dasan or their or their competing at Cheetah. I think Springs a little bit of an experimentation to see how those how those pieces work. But I think overall, when you factor in Rouse, Bothroyd, Pearson, and McCullough, I think that's like four starters. Um, and we haven't really even talked about the punter that much, um, <laughs> who's also come in. I think that's four starters. And when you can ID, maybe you've improved four positions from the portal. I, I don't think you can really ask for much for much more. Nope, I would agree. And I think there's potential with Andre Anthony and just how they feel about him that, you know, maybe they luck into five. And uh, yeah, I think if, you get, if that's like that lightning in a bottle just booms, then you all of a sudden you're like, okay, then you've, then you've, then you've got like a fifth starter, right? Cause then you've got him yeah. lined up with potentially lined up with um, uh, Farouk and maybe Stoops, maybe Freeman. Uh, I'd I'd love to see a little pet away there. That, that pet away 
Farouk and this Anthony kid sounds a little spicy to me, but you know, got to see maybe how this shakes out. But I think overall it's like B plus a minus. And like you said, there's some teams that have taken a lot of guys, you know, LSU has added, I think every, every defensive tackle they could find in the portal. And you just yeah, kind of wonder yeah. where they're all going to play. It's, it's not like SEC LSU has a hard time getting high school D line talent there. They have the entire state of Louisiana. No, so it's really weird. You know, like I, I, you know, I say that where I know Arizona was not a, well, the record says they weren't very good, uh, but they were, let's say not a terrible team, right? They were below yeah. average, you know, uh, Wildcats. And then you see USC and LSU take their two portal ta- defensive tackles. And my thought of there is like, I just wonder, do you know, these coaches getting so wrapped up and saying, Oh, well, I've seen some flashes from him on tape. I know he's played at the Division One level, so he's probably better than a junior college kid, or he's probably better than you know this person or that person. It's like, I mean, you just took a defensive tackle, you know, one of the you know a rotational defensive tackle from a four win team that you know hasn't recruited inside the top fifty in ten years. Like, I just really confused by some of it. It just seems like kind of you know again trading a jag for a jag, and you just like that one better because you don't know the engines banged up. Yeah, it's like it's it's lots of teams that you know I think you know are going to get are going to get are going to get like grades from some of the you know the college football talking heads like oh they made a huge splash in the portal. It'd be interesting to see how some of those teams you know kind of kind of vet out um, this fall because you know I think OU added added good pieces, added some depth, uh, and added starters, but I don't think we went kind of portal crazy. No, I agree. I think. I think we can come away and we can like we can with a absolute utmost confidence we can say Oklahoma added three added probably four right defensive starters with Bothroyd, Ford, McCullough, and Pearson. And they got better at all of those spots because of those kids. So they they in in one year they got, you know, experienced, depth, veteran leaders, and they got better at those spots. Like that's that's rare, I think. Uh, I think that's probably what helped propel and not saying Oklahoma's going to the, you know, national championship game, but being able to do things like that's what would help, you know, TCU catch lightning in a bottle. They did. And and you know, certainly you, you at this point you just again, TCU, we watched them all season. We we saw them you know, I, I saw four games they should have lost, but they, they found ways to win. All credit to them. All credit yeah. to them. Um, but, you know, the margins between, you know, I think even for OU, the margins between being 10 and 2, which we were in, in 2021, and then 6 and 6, or it's not a, there's not a massive, it's not, it's not a massive gap in the, that, that you have to have to close. It's, you can you can literally do it by getting a couple of portal players that you just that are that are veterans and just play much better than the guys you had in there before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so Caleb, we missed on Rouse last week, and so now I got to talk about missing on another recruiting topic. So I've been kind of maintaining. I thought OU was done with twenty twenty three recruiting. Seemed like they were. No offers were going out. Nobody was visiting. It seemed no visits were being scheduled. It seemed like I was fairly confident, and I thought I'd be right in that prediction. Well, unfortunately, this recording late this week, we've got a, an update on that. 
with a couple of people, and we've had some interesting action in the preferred walk-on territory. So, Caleb, uh, the first offer was Michael Wokacha, Wokucho, I think is how you say his name. If we're butchering that, we we apologize, Michael. <laughs> um, he's a six foot five, two hundred ninety pound uh, defensive tackle, defensive end at Tyler Texas JUCO. The interesting thing is he has four years to play three years, so he's got three years of on the field eligibility, but he does have a redshirt year to use too. So I watched this film. I thought it was pretty good. Caleb, you, you told me you've had a chance to look at it as well. What do you what do you think? Oh, you could grab here with with Michael. Yeah, you know, I think he's got all the tools you're looking for. I know someone on the board had given the, you know, a an early comp to, hey, is there some Perry on Winfrey here? I don't think he's quite as violent as Perry on, probably on and off the field, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and but you know, there is some comp there because he is, he's six, five, two ninety, big kid, long arms, but he's lean. And just like Perion, he runs extremely well when he gets out and he's chasing folks, you know, because at Tyler, they play him a lot on the edge as a defensive end. Yeah. They play the uh, and you, you the end. That, yeah. And you see a guy chasing quarterbacks down. You see a guy that doesn't, you know, get beat to the edge. So just all the tools in the world. I think I'd love to know the full backstory because it looks like online when you really kind of dig into the kid that he was a 2020 signee with uh, Northeastern Oklahoma and Tahlequah. Uh, so I assume okay. COVID guy, right? So it makes that interesting where, and we've talked about this, Chris, you and I, COVID did just the nature of what it did to sports. I think there are more than ever, there are kids like this where, you know, high school season is half played. Right. Coaches aren't out, cannot go on the road and recruit kids. Right. So the coaches in this in the area, the college coaches couldn't go see him in person and see that he was six, five and see that he was 275, 280 pounds in high school. They didn't know that. Right. They're just watching film. And he wasn't playing in a district where he was playing DeSoto, you know, uh, and Cedar Hill and those folks. So a guy that fell under the radar. And because uh, all the tools are there. Now, I think it will be interesting. Uh, it does seem like it's a lot of TCU in Oklahoma. I don't know when he's going to sign. I don't think he's going to sign, actually, in, in February. If I nah, read that right online. Been, yeah, he's been talking. There's, there's, there's some chatter that he's going to wait and try and take maybe, you know, you visit later in the year. And he's going to just take advantage of the fact that he can just sign later. I'm like the February deadline. Doesn't really mean as much for him. He's not. He's he's graduating from JUCO in May or June, so okay. so I, I think for him he he's just like well maybe I'll just take a little more take a little more time and get a little more interest from bigger schools. And I thought I'm just going to take a little bit of time. And and I think for OU that's I think OU. Well, I, whereas I think with some with some positions OU would be like nah we kind of need you making a decision in February. I think yeah. for this guy who would almost be another young defensive tackle you could add into the rotation into the group taking care of kind of filling in some of those some of that uh you know kind of spreading things out roster wise i think OU's like yeah we could we're willing to wait on you i think yeah you know you know come let's 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 kick this relationship around a little bit more um so i don't think you know OU's asking for a, a real quick decision there um no i think that's the other great funny too. thing I think he, yeah uh, i mean because especially with the red shirt year right because if if 
because he doesn't have he doesn't have the he doesn't have the Winfrey film. He just doesn't. I, I understand the right. physical comparison, but yeah. uh, when I, I remember watching Winfrey's film and his his second year in JUCO and just being like, "Whoa, where did that guy come from? Who who is he?" Um, yeah. He doesn't. He he and and he doesn't have that film. He's got a lot of the stuff as you talked about. Uh, and I think if you got him into an OU program, I mean, there's there's a real boom or bust kind of variable here. But there's a there's a serious ceiling for him. I mean, he could be six five, three hundred pounds, and just and and have and just have a you know like an all conference kind of ceiling to him. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely yeah. that's definitely there. So I do like the redshirt season because we will have if we do we're able to pick him up. We do have a lot of veteran D line in front of him. He might have a hard time pushing himself onto the field with them, but a, uh, a redshirt season wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing. No, I you know I mentioned this I think you know multiple times. I mean, even the last pod uh, that I was on, you know that's where you know the Texas A and M transfer Anthony Lucas, where I thought he was a really valuable or could have been to Oklahoma and he ended up at USC, not because when I say his value wasn't because he was this world beater at Texas A&M that you knew you were getting an all American, but to your point, it's because he was a young guy. And I, I really do. I think the world of Todd Bates, when you look at what he did with the Oklahoma defensive tackles in one year, you know, the Oklahoma's got one of the best teachers in college football at that position. And so, you know, to know you can get a guy that's young with tons of potential that you can then pair with Bates, but he's not going to have to play day one and be your, you know, your, your rock. You can develop him, get him snaps in areas where he can get confidence and he can win. Uh, and then he's moving to, you know, year two, year three, then he can become that guy. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, with him not deciding early, I think one thing we know is like when Venables decides that you are an important piece that he wants to close and he goes after you, you look at Bowen and you look at Rouse, it, it, he, he's batting, you know, pretty high in that area of, of winning those. So they, hopefully that'll be a win for the Sooners. And then a name that just we recorded, you know, we're recording this on Friday, a little uh, 24 hours later than we usually like to. Uh, but a name that popped is, oh, you just made a legit offer. It's a it's a committable offer. It's it's not a preferred walk on. It's not something where OU's kind of like, hey. Can I come on campus and see if we want to offer you? They've, they've offered him a spot. Is his name's Taylor Hem? Taylor Hem, I believe it is, or Heim, um, from Bethany, Oklahoma. Uh, he's a six foot five, one hundred ninety five pound kid. He he looks every bit of that on film. He's uh, kind of a projects maybe as like a wide receiver, maybe a linebacker, safety kind of hybrid kid. Uh, his frame can go lots of places once he hits strength and conditioning and the training table on that. But he had a big senior year with um, 1,860 total yards and 25 touchdowns. And playing safety from from the film, uh, he had 67 tackles and six interceptions, which is which are which are really good safety stats. So Caleb, I I, I thought you would have not had a chance to look at this guy, but apparently you have. Um, yeah. He's kind of an X-Man kind of here. Like he just sort of showed up. Yeah. I wish I could remember who it was on the board, brought his, you know, and just mentioned, Hey, here's a really interesting guy. Oklahoma's following. And maybe he's been following him. Oh, he's been following him for a while. Right. They they haven't, they had a couple of the OU coaches, Saptown sooner. 
picked up that the OU coaches were following him. So that's probably where you saw it. But, you know, so many of those follows, as we know from the portal season and everything else, they just don't go nowhere. You know, Brent follows, you know, thousands of people and it just doesn't mean anything sometimes. But this case, they did circle back and make the offer. Yeah. And gosh, so whenever they, they they brought him up to the board, I went and I watched this tape, you know, and one of the first things I looked at a photo of the kid, you know, and you Google and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, he, he looks his listed size, as you said, right? Six, five, one ninety. He looks every bit of six foot five, really long. Uh, and I'll be honest, my first thought when I watched him is I, I reminded me of Eric McCarty in that. And I, I think I've talked about yeah, this yeah, yeah. multiple times with McCarty where I said, I can't figure out what I'm seeing because I'm watching a kid that's playing against good comp and he is absolutely dominating on both sides of the ball. Like as Bethany does, they put him a quarterback and it's him running by yeah. everybody hurtling folks. I mean, he just runs by guys. I mean, he's uh, doing like the zone read. He's doing like the zone read bulldoze belldozer, but he's going like 65 yards. It's like, okay, yeah. anyone going to catch this guy? I mean, and players have angles left and right. The defenders have angles Absolutely. left and right. He's just running past them. Yeah. And then you, to your point, too, you watch him on defense and you see him, you know, break on the ball, pick it off, or run it back 95 yards for a touchdown. You're like, gosh. I, and so you're, I'm, I find myself immediately going, okay, why does North Texas, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, why have all these schools, why are they not on them? So I just do like, what is it that I don't know? Well, and, the, uh, it looks the, like nothing. Well, the group of five guys, <laughs> like the Mac, the Mac used to recruit Oklahoma really well. Like, why isn't this guy going to Miami of Ohio or, or, you know, or yeah, something? Yeah, no, that's a good. Yeah, Ohio used to have, he was a Tyler, Tyler Tettleton. They had some Oklahoma ties through, through yeah, somewhere. Yeah. And maybe those have just died off. Uh, and, you know, you hear Oklahoma high school coaches talk about it all the time, that Oklahoma does not get recruited the way that it should. And uh, and that's just a reality for whatever reason. Don't know why that is. But, I mean, he is he's a unique guy. I, I struggle with him. And the only area I struggle with him is he is 6'5" a great looking frame 195 pounds i have no clue and he runs whatever he's listed at four or five he runs it uh i have no clue what he'll turn into i don't know yeah. if he's going to be a 240 pound tight end if he's going to be a 225 pound cheetah i don't know i mean i mean god lane johnson was 200 pounds as a senior in high school or two or two <laughs> right and he's and it's and it's same thing right like there's i have no clue with guys like that you, all i know is like you really cannot have enough uh, big, fast guys. <laughs> well, speaking of Oklahoma being maybe under-recruited, I think there's just two fascinating preferred walk-on offensive linemen that uh, OU has has contacted this week that has floated up on the on the Twitterverse. Uh, I think, Caleb, you and I both can, can agree, we really wish there was a fifth high school offensive lineman in this class. There isn't. Um, but OU's made two fascinating offers um, on the preferred uh, walk-on. The first is his name's Drew Bat, and he's from Turpin, Oklahoma. And for those that don't know, Turpin plays eight-man football. And uh, Drew Bat is 6'8", 250. And I, when I pulled up his huddle video, I didn't know they were I – hadn't, I haven't watched eight-man football on huddling forever. So the first shocking thing was watching a six-foot-eight center um, because he has to play center on a three-man offensive line. Caleb, have, have you ever seen a center six eight or anywhere near that height? 
No. It, you know, I, thought, I will say this. For his film, it shows well because he shows really good knee bend. He's a natural bender. Yeah, he's, uh, he I've snaps the ball it. pretty well. I'm like, I thought he'd be like snapping it over the guy's head or, you know, or just something. But it's 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 crazy to see a six foot eight center first. And then he moves to off. Then he plays defensive end and he's and he's huge. He's just ragdolling some kids out there. Um, you know, I think we all are, you know, for us, eight man football in Oklahoma kind of begins and ends with with the hammer Rennell Lewis from Dewar. Just watching him just terrorize kids out there in eight man football, it wasn't really fair. Um, I had to I had to show my wife the the Rennell Lewis middle school hit where he he takes <laughs> out the poor he takes out the poor kid and the and the crowd is all just in you know the crowd's like it's like Jim Ross oh the humanity is just just it's just it's just it's uh, just it's unbelievable. So, but Drew Bat, I mean, I don't yeah. know what OU can get out of him, but. He's six eight. He's two fifty. He looks really athletic for his size. If OU can get him on campus and put him through the Schmitty car wash for a couple of years, um, am I just kidding myself to think you could have something here, Caleb? No, no, I don't think you are. Uh, I, you know, I went into and I've talked about this a bunch, uh, whether it's in our group chat or on the board. You know, just certain. Uh, trends have always struck me and to your point right like and it came out this week uh i forget the college football writer he pointed out on the all pro list the average ranking for like a, a defensive player on the all pro list was like four and a half almost a five star the average rating for all guys on the all pro list in the nfl that were offensive players I think they said it was a two-star, and I think that's inflated because I think a couple of them were junior college kids and are using a the saying they were, you know, uh, a rating yeah. because guys like Lane weren't. Guys like both the Kelsey brothers weren't. Uh their center Jason, he didn't even have a profile. He was didn't even and it was he's not that I think it was a 2008 guy. So it's not that he wasn't he was before, you know. No, that. the recruiting services, I mean, anything before 2000 is like, yeah, I mean, that's not really, yeah, who knows? Who knows yeah. how they came up with that? But right. around 2008, I mean, guy. you've got you've got three networks doing it. You've got two old, you've got two all-star games. You know, it's 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 fairly legit, right? I mean, it's there's a lot of coverage. Absolutely. And one of the traits, one of those things you noticed is all those offensive linemen, and this I think goes back to that whole a bit in the recruiting world, is you know they go to these camps and these guys that are really big, just like the TCU kid they signed that was six five, four hundred pounds. Well, in a camp setting, when you have to put a guy over him and you can't move left to right, he doesn't have to move. He knows the scat, snap count. Those guys look great. In real football, when it's about the offensive linemen moving their feet, being athletic and body control and balance and those things, those guys tend to fall off and they're not they're greater players. And that's that trait you notice with all those offensive linemen in the NFL is, for whatever reason, majority of them are 270 or lighter in, in high school. I think when I did the numbers, it was offensive linemen drafted in the first round through the third round uh, the last decade. The average weight was 280 pounds coming out of high school. Well, and look at uh, and look at look at our OU. Look at I mean, I, you know, I don't don't want to pick on the kid, but I mean, look at Bray Walker, right? Yeah, I mean, physically could not be in better shape, right? You can't accuse Bray of being out of shape, but he is a heavyweight, massive guy, and he and he just can't see the field. 
Yeah, I, I think it just comes at the end. Like you've got to be able to, when you're playing offensive line and you've got a guy that's like that, again, like Kevin on Thibodeau across from you, he's highly athletic. You know, you've got to be able to move and mirror and get in front of him. And these guys like that, 250 pounds in high school, right? It's it's Turpin, which is home of Lynn Scott. Anybody that's a former Cowboys fan, uh, Lynn uh, played <laughs> played for the Cowboys. Uh, so it used to be in the nineties. I'll give you some like Turpin history. In the nineties, they were a small school. I think they're one A or two A state power. They won really three or four okay. state championships. Yeah, they they won three or four state championships. They used to pump guys out to like northeastern Oklahoma, southwestern places like okay. that, Division two, Division two schools. Uh, uh, and, you know, but he's, he's not coming out of, he's not coming out of a Wasso. He's not coming out of, you know, broken arrow. He doesn't have a strength coach that used to coach at, you know, Arkansas and, and Texas tech and these places that right. Doesn't have it, but those guys like that, they have a tendency two fifty as a, as a senior, they have a tendency to just through eating and, you know, a blame, right. Just naturally he's going to be 280, 285. You put him in a weight room and now he's 305 and he still moves extremely well and he's really well built. Uh, so all the upside in the world. And one of the things I thought when I saw this years ago, I can recall Tom Osborne at a clinic, you know, mentioning, told a bunch of high school coaches and to, to, to bat, he's a perfect example. He said, Hey, if you have a bunch of six, five, six, 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 seven kids that are, you know, 250 pounds, send them our way. Like we will put them in our strength program and we will turn them into good players don't feel be great but we'll turn them into something and you know and, and nebraska was great at that for years getting local talent to walk on a lot of you know let's uh nil scholarships before they were real uh and, and they would take kids like that locally and they would grow them and and it being really good players and i've wondered you know brent grew up in that area if, if he doesn't see like hey there's an opportunity for kids like this we can develop guys like this and yeah, and I think, you know, and I think I liked I, I like OU focusing on some some preferred walk on offers in state, you know, and trying to see if they can mine Oklahoma a little better with the preferred walk on thing, and you know, and then switch kids to scholarship as soon as they prove it. Right? I mean, Absolutely. you don't know, Gavin Freeman's going to be on going to be on scholarship. He's proved that. It's just a matter of whether OU needs to do that, and you know, and let's be honest, some NIL stuff with some local kids can you know. And also bridge some of those gaps. So I, I, I like what Brent and the staff is doing. And I think uh, Coach Hall is kind of behind this movement a little bit, I think, in terms of oh, putting good. it together. Um, just, you know, offer some in-state kids and for preferred walk-ons. And, and you know, and, okay, if you, you bring in seven kids. If two of them turn into scholarship players, I think that's a win. Absolutely. I mean – and in a lot of ways, you know, if they're walk-ons, even if they just end up being, you know, I don't mean this because there's nothing wrong with just being a really good teammate and practice player and a guy that's on the yeah. scout team. He's super valuable. He's given a look every day. He's, you know, competing, trying to push guys. So there's just a ton of value in that. It takes a, it, you know, it takes everyone. Okay. Well, I think uh, when we're talking about, 23, I think that's probably, we can put 23 to bed for the rest of this podcast. And I talked a little bit about how OU has started 24 recruiting big time in the title. I kind of gave that hint away and, and it started, it started with a bang. The, the first thing is Emmett Jones is hired 
And I don't think they put an OU polo on him before they put him on a plane. <laughs> and the first place they went is Lake Belton, Texas, to go visit five-star wide receiver, Makai Hudson, who is, I, I, I call him like, he's the next Garrett Wilson. Um, uh, he's he's the next He's the next Texas wide receiver that's going to end up, looks like he's going to end up as like a top 20 pick. And OU, I think, was trailing on him. Uh, but I think Emmett, had Texas Tech like maybe in the top three. So I think OU is going to get a big boost with Hudson. I'm not saying they're going to get him, but that switch there, I think I think it changes the entire narrative for OU with uh, Makai Hudson, um, who who I think is just a fantastic-looking wide receiver. The recruiting rankings have him in the top 10 overall. So uh, that's, that was just such a huge move. And then a second wide receiver in Texas. And Texas, as we know, I think the key is, and I hope Emmett breaks this, is it's not recruiting. You can live on wide receiver recruiting in Texas as long as you're picking the right ones. <laughs> um, and and, and OU's had, OU has picked some of the right ones, right? We were doing a great job with, with Texas receivers, and then we kind of got a little bit, you know, off kilter there. But they've been um, – Emmett – was in Midlothian with uh, Jeff Levy and Jeff Levy was with uh, has been with Emmett on the road, but he Emmett went to Midlothian with Jeff Levy over the weekend. And he's already been back to Midlothian again this week. And Midlothian high school has Bryant Wesco, who is another top 100 receiver in Texas. Looks really good. Has a family connection to OU. His sister is on the soccer team. So I think Emmett's already off to, off off of the bang, so to speak. So um I think it's just a huge early, early, the early returns for that hire is 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 OU. OU maybe won the maybe, maybe has looks like they may have hit a home run there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's you know, to go back to what we talked about in the beginning of the pod, right? Like wide receiver in the portal, and, and you see Oklahoma look like they're, you know, maybe gonna take Broden, uh, maybe they're gonna take Weaver. They're chasing Bryson Green, you know, chasing some others. And then they hire a guy and decide, let's not do that. You know, I, I think part of that, right, it's probably a hierarchy of reasons. And I think one of the top might be, you know, is, is Emmett came in and sat down with Jeff. And, you know, those are those are some some heavy hitters for Texas high school recruiting. You know, Jeff's really highly thought of. Uh, yeah. And he's just really personable, really good guy, right? Uh, and he, you know, he grew up the son of a high school football coach. He knows these guys. He, you know, he's cut from the same cloth and Emmett was a high school coach. So they, I think they might've had a conversation. Emmett said, Hey, look, let's not, and nothing, I don't mean that Broden or Weaver would have been a waste, but I think Emmett may have said, Hey, let's hold off. We've got enough guys here. We can go play and win and play high level. Let's not, let's not sign these guys. Let's, you know, I think we'll get, we'll get Hudson. We'll get Wesco. We'll get these guys. Let's, let's go win them. I can get them. Uh, free, we'll get them. I want free ships to add. I want free ships to add four killers this fall. Absolutely. I, I really think that honestly, you know, as you were walking through that and given that timeline, you know, I think you said it without realizing it. I think that's probably what happened because that's really, from a timeline perspective, that's what you know. Those are the dots I would connect. So the one interesting thing about twenty-four recruiting is quarterback recruiting. Always, you always want to get your quarterback in a class. Um, the previous coaching staff had a little bit of an inconsistent policy about recruiting quarterbacks every year. Looks like Jeff Levy knows that. Oh, you can't afford that. 
And the latest update on Michael Hawkins, he's enrolled at Frisco High School, Emerson High School in Frisco. Uh, he's not taking an Arkansas visit, and I don't know if that's because he's kind of shut Arkansas out or he knows that Kendall Bryles has left Arkansas and gone to TCU. So he's not visiting Arkansas this weekend, and I think the chances are that he is on campus next weekend are probably pretty high, and that the following a uh, couple of days after that, I, I think we're seeing Michael Hawkins to OU trending in a, in a huge direction. I know a lot of folks have kind of put the TCU uh, thing pieces together and say, well, why wouldn't he look at TCU? Well, TCU has uh, has a verbal commitment from a top 200 quarterback already. So I would be surprised. And Hawkins has never gave any indication he was really interested in TCU. So I don't think I think the Kendall Bryles thing is a negative for Huge negative for Arkansas, but I don't think it's, it's going to bring TCU into the picture, you know, at least not right now. But, Caleb, I was interested that even with all of these positive vibes with Hawkins, we saw OU offer uh, Walker White, who's a top um, top 150, top 100, actually, composite quarterback from uh, Little Rock. And he's 6'3", 215, and he looks, he looks really good on film. So, um why do you think OU maybe made that offer? That's an interesting question because I do think you, you mentioned it. I, everything, all the tea leaves point to Arkansas probably being out on Michael Hawkins. And it was down to Arkansas and Oklahoma. So everything points to being Oklahoma. Uh, you know, and I, I just don't see how Arkansas recovers if he was only really focused there on for, because of Kendall. That's really what relationship was at. Uh, I think, you know, if I'm spitballing here, you know, I think Jeff Levy's built a little bit differently. I think he's, uh, he's just more aggressive, to be quite honest with you. I think than what we saw from the previous, previous, uh, guy, I think Jeff is, he's a little bit more of that old school of like, Hey, we're going to go out the field. We're going to earn this. We're going to work and we're going to compete. I'm not going to go sign one guy every two years, hand him. The, the role and hope it all works out and really try to, you know, uh, just stroke his ego the whole time. And, and I think part of that as well, you know, right. you got Davis Bevel, uh, who is late in his career, you know, he may potentially could graduate and, and move on, uh, with a year and, and try to go play, you know, uh, somewhere else and try to actually play because he will be behind Dylan Gabriel. And I think odds are he's probably going to be behind, uh, you know, Jackson Arnold as well. Uh, and, and I think that's, I, I think I that's, so. I think everybody does. Right. I, and I think that's probably why you see two quarterback offers. I think they look at it and they say, okay, well, here's where we're going to be at more likely than not uh, in 24 is Bowens is going to be gone booty. If he's behind uh, Jackson Arnold, the likelihood that he could, he'll have a transfer because he was a junior college kid. He'll have one available. Might be looking at going into that year with, you know, Dylan Gabriel's gone, and you're looking at Jackson Arnold as your only returner there, and with two, you know, one true freshman coming in, so you're going portal hopping. So you know, you look at Walker White, big, like he's a, I won't say he looks like Tim Tebow, but physically he's he's six three, he's two fifteen, he looks like he's been in the college weight program, really mature kid, really good athlete, can run, can throw. You know, so I think he would give you that another, you know, uh, again, where Jeff's not having to say, 
fingers crossed that everything works out. Jackson doesn't get injured and fingers crossed that, you know, Mike can be, you know, a competent backup year one. I think Walker gives you that, that competition. And, you know, that's if Oklahoma was able to land him. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, you know, you just never know, right? At this point, what a, what an offer, what a conversation may mean two years down the road when you want to, you want to, when he's in the portal and he's looking for somewhere to play. Absolutely. You know, yeah, that's you, yeah, that's a really good point. So um, one positive thing, I know, you know, we've been back and forth a little bit on about Hawkins junior year. Um, you know, it's a little, it's, it's, it's uneven. And obviously Allen had a very uneven year. So um, it's not a huge, you know, it's, 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 I'm not, I don't know that this wipes that out, but Hawkins at a recent camp event on Saturday, on Sunday, um, uh, one of the, there was a camp event. I think it was Level Next Up. I think is what they called themselves. They had a camp event, a QB camp event in Dallas, and Hawkins was the uh, the QB MVP of the event. And there were actually uh, there was actually Texas's verbal commitment for twenty four. Their QB was there, and there was a couple of other three star quarterbacks at the event. So it wasn't laden with talent, but it's not like Hawkins was, you know, basically, you know, was just given that out of default. So um, hopefully Mike's looking and looking for a really good rebound year with maybe a, a new environment. And maybe this is the start of him hitting some camp settings and, and, and just looking really sharp. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll take it on the chin there a little bit. Cause I know I've been, I've had my concerns in that regard saying, Hey, the junior year wasn't, what you would think when you watch the film of, you know, top five, top 10 quarterback in high school football, you expect to see a, you know, a, I don't say all like Jackson Arnold, but normally at that position, those guys have a way of controlling a game, you know, a flow. There's, there's something to those, those guys. And I, I will say his highlight tape is a highlight tape. Like he makes some amazing runs. He makes some throws that are fantastic. And I came away thinking, okay, is, are those just highlights? And then when you dig into the numbers a little bit, I don't know a lot about what Allen had at receiver, what offense they were running. I think they went through some coaching changes. So maybe there was some, you know. Well, uh, they lost their, they lost their, their big running back. He got hurt in the Denton Geyer game. Okay. He, um, he blew his knee out. So it was really, they were sort of staying in that game with him at that point. But I think once Mike lost him, it was like, okay, their O-line's not very good. And it's, it's time to tee off on, on Michael Hawkins because they got nothing yeah. else. Right. And that's what I say. One of the things I looked at is, you know, you kind of, it, it tends to, even in high school, it's, it's changed a little bit, but that's a completion percentage. It used to be, maybe that wasn't as indicative because you don't know kind of what offense they're playing in. Uh, and things right. like that. And, you know, it didn't dip as, as much as, as maybe I had thought. Uh, he, he was still, you know, close to a 60% passer as a junior. Uh, and he did, he was not a big turnover guy. He only had five interceptions. I think, you know, obviously just some things inside the junior year. And I didn't know about the running back. Uh, you know, and he played in, I think Allen's wasn't as good. You know, he played in, in they didn't go near as far. So, you know, the overall numbers weren't going to be as much because, uh, you know, he, he didn't have as many opportunities to play in games. But, yeah, I probably still want to see think, the uh, – Yeah, let's just, it's a story to track, I think. Story to track, definitely, uh, in terms of his his play at his new high school and his and some of his summer camp activity. I mean, 
if he if he combines his way into the lead eleven, I mean that'll tell us a lot. If it, if he's yep. not able to not able to get anywhere into that top sort of top twenty group, then that, that'll also tell us something else. So that's uh, a lots really of good chances. Point. Lots lots of chances there, but uh, uh, I thought it was encouraging that he's you know first he's got an OU offer and he. He he may be just already ready to verbal OU, but he's he's at a camp event, the first camp event he can get in to get work. He's he's already there, and I and I think you got to give him a little. That's I think that's a positive sign, if nothing else, about his his level of competitiveness and willing to and willing to test himself against other guys. For sure. So the big thing is OU went on it like a ridiculous defensive offer blitz like the last week. Every time I like turned around, they were offering another defensive player and they haven't made a lot of really good defensive offers already. So I was really kind of surprised by that. So pod pod listeners, I'm about to go through a blitz of players and (laughs) Caleb's going to interrupt me so that I'm just not drowning you with names and locations and people. So the first thing they did was they, and this really surprised me because OU has has a really good defensive line offer list already with a lot of really good defensive linemen interested. But OU made five just really interesting D-line offers. They made more than that, but I'm just going to talk about five of them. The first is Alex January. He's a defensive tackle from Duncanville, Texas. That's a high school we know OU is going to be at a lot the next couple of years. He's 6'5", 300-plus. Moves really well on film, kind of a big anchor guy. And OU doesn't have a lot of those guys sort of ID'd right now. So that to have one in regions kind of interesting. The next guy is TJ Lindsay from um, Bryant, which is in Arkansas, a little near Little Rock. He's about 6'5", 250, 260. I say D-line because I don't know if he's a defensive end or a defensive tackle. And I'm going to say that a whole bunch. And some of our recruits fit that profile too. And then they offered Ted Hammond from Ohio. And he's from Cincinnati, uh, plays at Xavier, uh, Xavier High School. Uh, he's 6'5, 260. It's a good program, yeah. Um, he's 6'5, 265. And he again plays D tackle and D end in his scheme. Uh, then OU offered Xavier Porter, uh, who goes by the X-Man. So any of you remember Xavier McDaniel of Wichita State fame? And he's 6'3", 275. And he plays at Tampa Catholic, which is Lewis Carter's high school. And OU has already offered um, Eddie Louis, sorry, Eddie Pierre Louis and wide receiver TJ Moore from there. And if you know anything about what we talked about with Lewis Carter is that Lewis Carter was like the dude at that school. He was like the <laughs> alpha. So I think if Lewis was already on Twitter telling Xavier Porter after he got his OU offer, you know, come to Norman and Porter on tape is he's, he's a quick tackle. He could be six, three, two ninety five, two ninety, and just be a, a really fast three technique. So he presents us something a little different than the other guys. And then perhaps my favorite one. And, then I'll I'll take a breath and let Caleb talk a little bit. Was OU offered uh Dacius Brinkley? And he's an edge. He's about 6'5, 225. And the fast, and he's from Katy, Texas. The fascinating thing for me is that he's the son of NFL linebacker Jasper Brinkley, who was also a 
fantastic linebacker at South Carolina, all SEC middle linebacker, just a beast at like 6'3", 255. And um, his son seems to be more of like an edge rusher, but his mom was an Olympic hurdler. So I'm not sure you can get, you know, for those that don't remember, Adrian Peterson's dad was a basketball player, and I think his mom was a sprinter, if I remember right. So you, so when you talk about um, day, um, Mr. Brinkley here, I mean, he's got like absurd athletic genes in his family. So Caleb, I just, I just blitzed some names through there. So, well, what do you think about all this? Man, so first I have to get this out. Like I, when you mentioned Brinkley, I cannot wrap my head around him having a son that is going to be a recruit this year. Uh, just blows my mind. Because uh, I think I think Brent might have recruited him some, you know. I, I want to say he was like a Hargrave Military Academy guy, uh, so maybe he was a little bit older. I think he ended up at South Carolina and then played for. Uh, uh, I remember playing for the Giants, uh, yeah. but I think he number of years in the NFL. I mean, gosh, that's that's wild. But I think the most interesting thing to me with that is that string of defensive line offers. I don't know. It's interesting because I think that says, you know, I think that probably just says two things, the caliber of those players and the importance of that position in 2024 for Oklahoma, because we've talked about this, right? Uh, Things, the way they set up for OU's defensive line recruiting, you couldn't ask for things to be better. You know, I think 2023 was a down year for defensive linemen in the region. It was really down. Uh, so it put Oklahoma in this tough spot, you know, where luckily they were geniuses, what it looks like now, when they ID'd P.J. Adeborie when no one else had, really. I think maybe Nebraska was his best offer and over in Northwestern, where his brother was at, when Oklahoma found him. But the region has got, you know, David Stone. Uh, it, it's got, you know, the kid, uh, big defensive tackle uh, out of Melissa, Texas, which is uh, his name shooting by me right Nigel, now. Nigel, Nigel Smith. Smith. Nigel Smith. Nigel Smith, which he looks like a million dollars on the hoof. You know, he's that 6'5", 270, probably be 295 and just lean looking, you know, uh, defensive lineman. You know, uh, and and then you've got uh, Noary out of Kansas City, who's really good friends with uh, both, I think, PJ and Caden Green. And the kicker on that one is his, his high school football coach, Jamar Mosey. Right. So, uh, like probably knows former sooner. Yeah. For, former sooner that probably knows, you know, 80% of the staff right now and inside the building as it relates to, uh, you know, support staff. So, and he's ranked as one of the top, a lot of places have him as a top edge player in the country. Uh, so I, and, and Oklahoma's in the top group for all those guys. I think a Koye may be a little bit is interesting. I think there's been some scuttle of that he might want to get out and see, but it's early in his recruitment. So you don't know how much that is just the excitement of the opportunity. And we'll see what kind yeah. of where all that settles. But uh, I think that probably speaks to just the importance of it. And also like how good these guys are, right? Like you, you go out and you make these offers. Uh, I mean, Hammond probably ended up at Ohio state, like every kid out of Cincinnati, uh, but, but they're point, recruiting you know, nationally too, so something yeah. something will fall something will fall through the cracks eventually. I mean, they can't take everyone. 
No, it can't. And the interesting one to me, you can bring up like, you know, it's Xavier Porter because because Lewis Carter and the way that you hear Venables talk about, he's got an amazing relationship with that head coach. Uh, you know, and yeah. you know, Lewis Carter was the is the guy, was the guy in that program. You know, uh, what he spoke was gospel. So you gotta think Oklahoma really likes him that much. Uh, you know, got a really good chance there. So, you know, it may be a bigger defensive line class. I think what we anticipated, I think a lot of us thought probably two ends, maybe three tackles. It just might be a bigger class. Uh, and it, I think it's got the chance to be a really special one for him if uh, you know, they just things go right. Uh, and the numbers look like they're there that it, you know, should. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was stunned because it's, Oh, you's made a lot of offers. They're doing really well at D line recruiting. You know, it almost looks like, Oh, you was making panic offers. I'm like, well, they're not panicking at D line. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, <laughs> so it's either these guys are all that good or, um, or OU plans on maybe, as you said, adding an extra body or two, or just, you know, they're just not, and it's not worrying about it. Like if they see a D line that is worthy of an offer, they're they're just making it. And it's, and it was just, it, it would be. We've been so used to the regional, the regional area being so devoid of talent, right? At, at the D line oh. position, that that OU, as you said, we they this sort of this sort of magical unicorn that PG Adoare is just sort of appears, and then OU flat, and then Bates just flat out out recruits the SEC. For Derek LeBlanc, right, and you know, just for, to get the two to get the two elite guys that they want on campus, and then all of a sudden you've got, you know, you've got, you know, you've got a big defensive tackle at Duncanville. You've got another defensive end, defensive tackle at Arkansas. Then your 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 new favorite pipeline in in Florida has a fast, aggressive defensive tackle and. You know, and then Katie, Texas, you know, has, you know, if you're struggling to get an edge player, you know, if you don't get a Koye, okay, you can just get Jasper, Jasper Brinkley's son. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the good thing I mean, about that is, well, the kid grew up in Katie, you know, is, is you know, dad being from uh, from the South of Georgia and going to South Carolina, probably less. I think one of the things that's bit Oklahoma is a lot of those Katie kids being tied to Texas A&M from a family yeah. perspective. That's not the case there. Uh, no. no, it's, it's like, I think it just speaks to, you know, to your point, right? Like, uh, and they're not going to, you know, not a lot of separation there, but, you know, we're going to offer them, but I will say like, it warms my heart to think like just that there may be, you know, Oklahoma could take three defensive tackles that are all, you know, top 150 kids, like in January stone, Nigel Smith, and they don't have to go further than, I suppose Stone technically is at IMG right now, but he's an Oklahoma City kid. You're not, yeah, you're I mean, not having to go. They scouted him. At, they scouted him at Dell City. He was he was camping as a freshman when he was at Dell City. So I mean, that's right. He's he's. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's and 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 you, you know that's that's just a we, we're just hoping that 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 story can just come to completion for the Sooners. So they made a blitz of D line offers, and I would you figured they might be done, but then. Caleb, OU makes two two fascinating linebacker offers. Um, the first one is, and I think linebacker depth, you know, is really starting to form on campus. So I wasn't quite sure how big a linebacker group OU would sign this year. But they got, they made two offers. The first one is to a kid from Washington State. I know you've been tracking him for a little bit. So the name was kind of familiar to me, courtesy of Saptown Sooner, um, is Braden Platt. 
And he's 6'2", 240, and he looks every bit 6'2", 240. Like the photos of him, he, he just looks he, he looks incredible. And he is, he's like a tank, a, a fast-moving tank at middle linebacker. Um, and I had thought that Peyton Pierce was OU's inside linebacker. You know, that, that was their micro group. You know, they, they won't really get off anymore, Mike's, because they're not going to get the they're not going to get the sensational kid from Georgia um, who's just who's just unreal. Uh, but they're not right. pulling. They're not pulling. They're not pulling the world's the the top middle linebacker from Jefferson, Georgia, away from UGA. Let's, <laughs> you know, let's just let's, yeah. as much as he would like, as much as he loves Brent Venables. He's he's the he lives like sixty miles south of of Athens. OU's not getting him, so I I had kind of you know um, Peyton Pierce locked in. I'm sorry, Peyton Pierce guys is the the 2024 middle linebacker prospect from Lovejoy, Texas, six two two twenty five. Rivals has him as a top fifty player in the nation. His film's fantastic. I had him locked in as kind of OU's Mike, but then this Platt kid kind of could let you do something different with Pierce. So, Caleb, do you think Peyton Pierce at at Will linebacker could that work for OU? I'm absolutely in my mind, and I, I kind of go back to uh, this. Would I know the games changed uh, a little bit in just a decade's time with you know some of what you see, but at, at the same time, I think at the linebacker position, uh, we you know we see it with. Like guys like the Rodriguez at Oklahoma State, instincts by and large can trump most almost everything. Like just knowing, like just having a innate feel and understanding for where the ball is going. You know, being able to avoid blocks and, and just get you know see ball get ball. You know, I have to teach a kid. You know, we're key in first step with the guard. We're doing this, and you know, it, sometimes it's paralysis by analysis. That's not the case when you watch like, you know, uh, Platt or when you watch the, you know, the kid out of Lovejoy, uh, Peyton Pierce. And I think that's where it changes, right? It would remind me a little bit of when, when, uh, when they had Tom Wart at will, right? He's not your, you know, what you would think of, right? In terms of six, two and, and really long armed and, and out in space. But when it comes to, you know, just being a fantastically good football player and what you think of as a linebacker, a guy that just goes and gets it and can run, right? Like that's what you're that's what you're gonna get. So I can absolutely see a a world where if they were lucky enough to sign both, where, you know, and in a lot of ways the will and the mic's interchangeable and in, into what, you know, Brent does. Uh I think that's yeah. what we saw. The injury to Ted Roof, I'm sorry, T D Roof. Uh you know, like previous to that it was they had Deshaun White playing at that will, uh, yeah. you know, and, and Danny playing at Mike. And when that injury happened, they were able just to slide Danny over to Will and kick Deshaun to the Cheetah, uh, where where Roof was going to play. And and you know, just really similar in terms of how you're seeing it and how you're fitting it. And then somehow they will align. You will even move the Mike out over, uh, you know, into a slot in those bunch sets. So you're your will in some ways is inserting as a mic. So I think it makes all the sense in the world. Well, Platt, Platt's a, Platt's a, the one thing you can tell from OU's new, new coaching staff, the defensive film, I mean, you rarely see like a linebacker or a safety prospect who just doesn't hit and just is angry at offensive personnel in general. Um, yeah, you don't, see clearly, drag, you don't see any people getting drugged down. 
from tackles. No, it's I mean you, 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 you see some you see some D line who are raw who who I haven't quite figured out yet how to completely you know detonate a quarterback. So you'll see some you know what I'm saying. You'll just you know they're just kind of getting their you know they're six five two seventy. They haven't quite figured out everything altogether. But when we're talking about someone who's like six two two thirty, they're hitting folks. I mean Plant just hits folks. It's it's not quite yeah. Lewis Carter level, but it's just like I was going to say. Yeah, I, I think of that. You I know, it's, if, if Lewis Carter is like the bench line for, wow, someone needs to tell Lewis to you know that the, 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 the those offensive players didn't like call his mom bad names or something. He needs to you know dial it down a bit. I mean, Plant's yeah. just you know. Platt just fits that, you know, I mean, you know, again, Eric McCarty, McIntyre, you know, the old, we could list all of these kids, right. That we saw, you know, Vickers in last year's class where they just, they just hit, they're just very, very angry at offensive personnel and, and don't want them to, don't want them to really succeed. So speaking of another guy that just really hits, oh, you did offer um, a kid from Texas, Jasper, Texas. His name is Ty, Ty Anthony Smith. He looks like he'd be kind of like a perfect will backer. He's again very angry at offensive personnel. Um, I think he's probably the best looking smaller will prospect in region so far. Um, he's a bigger frame kid than uh, Davon Keys, who was probably the the number one kind of guy I was looking at before that. Um, Davon's a smaller kid. He's about five eleven, six foot, two hundred maybe. Smith just looks bigger framed. It looks like he's got a little more punch and power to his game. So OU's just making defensive offers on on D line linebackers, and we're gonna we're gonna close out this podcast with just one more group of, of players I'm gonna talk about, um, and Caleb and I'm gonna talk about, and that's OU's offered some big safeties, um, big big cornerback, big cornerback, and a couple of big safeties. The big cornerback is Salmon Bridges. He's 6'4", 185, and he is a teammate of Makai Hudson at, at um, uh, Lake, uh, sorry, Lake Belton. Lake Belton. Um, Lake Belton. Um, and then OU offered uh, Makai White, who could be a wide receiver, could be a, could be a safety. He's 6'2", 180, 185, just flies around, super athlete. The new you offered a guy in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I don't quite know how we pull a safety out of Alabama, but they <laughs> offered him. His name's Tavares Banks. He's six one one ninety. He also is pretty much has bad intent about people with the with the football in their hands. And then the final one is uh, it's kind of a cute name is Isaiah Thomas. Uh, he's six two, one hundred ninety five pounds from Clearwater, Florida. He's a real hitter at safety. Oh, you just got some. You know, just got, you know, Makari Vickers, you know, from Florida. Can't believe they got him. But the OU staffs continue to make Florida focus. And I think um, it's interesting that OU has, seems to have offered some bigger players in, that, in the secondary because OU has two guys that are they're really tracking at safety, Caleb, but they're kind of smaller guys. The first one is Jaden Hardy uh, from Louisville. He's about six foot 170. And then a fantastic-looking guy at, at DB, kind of play him anywhere, I think, in the secondary, is uh, Jordan johnson Rebel from IMG. But he's about 5'10", 175, 180. He's originally from Texas. But um, it's it's interesting. There's kind of a mix there. So 
Caleb, what do you think about OU maybe uh, maybe trying to offer some bigger DBs? Yeah, I wonder what the correlation is. And, you know, I do wonder, to your point, right, I think all the chatter has been on uh, Johnson Rebell that it would surprise a lot of folks if he didn't end up uh, in Norman. Uh, just, and then I think that's been a he's long time. He's visited a couple of times. He's visited a couple of times. Relationships, yeah. just connections. Yeah, I think he was one of those guys, you know, uh, particularly the last class, which I guess Brent didn't get to coach, and it fell apart actually after he left. But that at Clemson, you really saw it was, I think they had four four guys from IMG. Brent's got a really good relationship down there when he got to Clemson. Uh, he, uh, he it was like Jahad Thomas and, and Tab, right? The, yeah, the, yeah. The guys, a couple of guys went to Michigan, Michigan, yeah, a couple of guys Michigan. And there was Campbell and, uh, that one, ended up at Alabama. Yeah, Jahad Campbell, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and okay. so, sorry, sorry, just trying to remember those names. No, I wonder if, you know, if there's not part of you thinks, hey, do they see that Rebel Johnson Rebel is likely to end up in Norman and there's a good chance that Eli Bowen does as well, right? Uh, and he's in that. And that's five two smaller nine. guys, right? That's two smaller guys. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think there's anything, you know, you can get away with that. I think if you have one or maybe two, it's we've seen this in the past, right? Where it's every guy is that small, then it's you make it real easy for the find the fish, you know, for the offense. They can really isolate those guys as where if it's one, yeah, you can, you know, there's a defense, you can, you can do things to help him out where the offense can't really take much advantage of him. So I do wonder that. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you, you talked on one thing there, right? There is this, this consistent theme with all of the defenders, really. Uh, and we've talked about this probably ad nauseum for listeners. Uh, it's just really physical guys. You know, where the last staff was a lot of like, we like this trait. He can really run. He had a good track time. Film's not great, but we think he will, you know, we can coach him up and progress him here. You watch these guys' films, and it's like it reminds me of Adam Sandler. You know, it's like that's assault, brother. Like that's you know, you have to be careful there. Like you're getting close to <laughs> you're trying to hurt somebody, which you love. Like that's that's what you want. Like you want it on the border, uh, and but that's what you see across all these guys. You know, so they're not. These are really good offers. They're not. Hey, we might get a five nine or five ten DB. So go find somebody that's six two, and they're taking a flyer. No, like that's. That's a 6'2", 190-pound guy that's out there. Yeah, he's hurting folks. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, obviously, Josiah Wagner is sort of the same frame as Rubel and Bowen. I mean, I, I think we could say they're right, generally speaking, about the same size frame-wise uh-huh. and sort of the same bucket. So, obviously, you know, Brent's not opposed to bringing in a guy like that as long as he's a playmaker, right? And we have everything Absolutely. we've seen from Wagner is, is Wagner is just not backing down from anybody He's and he can he's he's gonna be he's gonna be a player near you secondary. So it's interesting that oh you could have two guys similar in in Rebel and and um and Eli Bowen. So it would be you know it would be nice if whoa we we also got a six foot four cornerback. Okay, well that works. Um and oh you did just sign such a really big deep DB class. So uh I think it's gonna be interesting to see how that fit. How all that yeah, fits that out. Is, uh... I was say, that's you know, the how many thing spots I'm really most How many spots do you really have for the secondary um, in this upcoming class? So, well, everyone, we have talked your head off uh, about recruiting for the last hour and a bit, and I've thrown a lot of new names at you. 
in terms of 24. Uh, I appreciate, uh, Caleb, I appreciate you taking the time to, to work with me on this podcast while uh, Matt is, uh, Matt's off uh, taking care of some other things. If everyone could please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, whether that's iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever platform you want. And if you're looking for more information like this, please visit Sooners360.com and visit our VIP forums. You can ask Caleb and I all kinds of questions about recruiting and player development. And we have lots of opinions we're willing to share with you in depth there and, and interact with you guys and and we have a really great community of posters there. So I think you'll find just like lots of really good Sooner information. So we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for subscribing and listening. And we will see you next Thursday.